food as medicine is honestly, it's a simple, simple concept. It really is. You can, you can change somebody's metabolic disorders in as little as six weeks of changing their menu, just changing their food. You can change their metabolic disorders within six weeks. We've got clinical results that show amazing, amazing results just by changing diet. And although that's very, very simple, if you go into a grocery store, 80% of the items there are processed foods. And if you look at the side of a cereal box to a side of a granola bar to a side of a can of soda, you're just reading ingredients that, frankly, we're not meant to consume. Welcome to Winning at Work, the podcast for foodies, founders, and food and beverage professionals. You know, if you wanted to discover a new brand, a new food or beverage to try, there are literally thousands of companies out there. It is very difficult to do that. That's why we curate the different, the better, and the special brands here each and every week so you don't have to do the heavy lifting. If you're a founder and you're looking to connect with other like-minded executives, we make that very easy. And if you just work in the food and beverage industry and you're looking for fresh inspiration, we have that here in spades. This episode is sponsored by Temple. Congratulations, you're selling in retail. But the competition is fierce and your brand is surrounded by similar products. How will consumers find you? Let Temple show you an innovative retail sales solution. Click on the Attract Consumers link below. Need to attract great employees? Click on the Hire Now below and we'll show you how to use your culture to help you stand out. Stay tuned for this week's episode. Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. We have a really interesting topic today. This is a topic that has been on my mind, I have to say, for quite a while. I have seen a number of companies. I've seen a number of brands. There's a lot of things that go on. LinkedIn and outside of LinkedIn that touch on food as medicine, the importance of quality, clean food. And recently, I had the pleasure of meeting David Lancey. He's the CEO of Nextine. And he honestly, his heart is in the right place. His organization, he has got a, a, a sizable footprint within hospitality, okay? It's a food service play for the most part. Uh, but Next Dine Hospitality is focusing on dining, uh, hospitality, facilities, management. You know, they're really focused on, they want to create this amazing experience for businesses, uh, independent schools, which we've seen a rise in, senior living communities, which we've also seen a rise in, hospitals, healthcare organizations, and in order to provide a food as medicine type of system, you've got to begin with a commitment to authentic food. And then the people that you employ, they have to give genuine, authentic service. And I just can't think of anyone better to come in and talk to about this, David. Welcome into Winning at Work. Thank you, Tony. Great to be here. Big fan of the show. Listen to a bunch of your uh your recent ones and uh, really enjoyed them. So glad you're uh, you're one of the guys out there pushing for this this kind of format that allows many of us to just uh, learn a little bit from every entrepreneur out there. Right? Everybody's everybody's trying to make a living, trying to figure out a better way. So 
exactly Appreciate you on this. And, and why have to, you know, why recreate the wheel when you've got someone else who is ar- literally already <laughs> over there, <laughs> right? you know, right. struggling to push that rock uphill. And I know that's how it feels some days. So, so for those who maybe aren't as familiar with uh, your business, tell us a little bit more just about Nextine and your vision, your philosophy, and, and really the kind of footprint that you're in right now, even geographically. So, Tony, I started Nextine Hospitality uh, 14 years ago. Uh, I always tell the same story. I started it because, frankly, I worked for some of the most horrible human beings <laughs> on, the, on the planet. I shouldn't laugh. I was, that, that, that was your push, right? That was my push. Uh, you work for some bad people and you're like, this, geez, this has got to be a better way. And, right. Um, and I always said to myself in those moments that um, – I was frustrated. I said, if I ever get the opportunity to do my own thing, it's it's going to be all about the people. And, and so that's so I started the company with that real goal in mind. And you know, my philosophy is very very simple. I take care of uh, my people. My people take care of the customers, and virtually everything else takes care of itself. So I, I spend most of my time trying to make sure my people got everything that they need. They're, they're appreciated. We value their work. And there's a number of things that we do as an organization to do that. Um, so we started with just Next Dine Hospitality, which was which is just really core dining services. Uh, and, and, and we started mostly in corporate America here in New England. So lots of Fortune 500 companies here in New England hire us to manage their dining services that feeds their employees um, in various buildings. And then we went to schools, and colleges senior living, hospitals. Um, we even got a, a train service called the Downeaster that goes from Portland, Maine to Boston six times a day. We run the cafe car on that. That sounds amazing. So it's a really diverse business that um, requires, you know, really strong culinary talent across the board. And every facility is basically its own independent restaurant. And um, so we've got a higher quality culinary talent. And um, we manage the entire process from ordering the food, preparing it, serving it, preparing financial statements that show what happened to the business, and um, ultimately just trying to provide you know what we call amazing dining experiences for for our guests. Among those segments that you're in, which is making you probably the most excited about the future? Do you see the biggest opportunities for change or growth or innovation? It's funny because pre-COVID, right, I thought corporate dining was was all that and a bag of chips. And um, I soon realized this work from home phenomenon has really changed what I felt about that business. Um, I still love that business and we've got some great customers. But what really excites me going forward is the senior living business. And so lots of high-end senior living facilities across the country hire us to run their on-site restaurants and bars and poolside snack bars and anything you would think of in a really five-star resort that we we manage. We manage all of the dining services there. And, and one of the things that's really turned me on about that is, A, the folks, the administrators of those facilities, they're so mission-driven. They're so mission-driven to make sure that the residents and the members of that community 
are having a great experience and living out their latter years in just, you know, joy and excitement and, and, uh, and getting everything they want from those, you know, from those latter years of their life. And so what I like is that there's just a real focus on making sure that dining, which outside of healthcare for seniors, you know, their own personal health, the next thing they care the most about is what are we eating today? Where are we eating today? And, and so there's a great emphasis in, in, uh, in, in making sure that those dining facilities and, and some of them are, you know, again, five star uh, wine lockers and white gloves, table side service. And it, it ranges from that high end all the way down to, you know, assisted living, skilled nursing and, and again, everything in between. And that passion that those people have to make sure residents are having a great experience, you know, is really what we feel great about as an organization because it's right. We're all foodies in this organization. So we get up every day and think about food and, and we, we just love the same kind of customers that, that, that do the same. So. Yeah. I, that really must help. I would think with even retention because People go to work, they're working around other people that have the same kind of philosophy, similar purpose or similar mission. So you don't feel like you're a salmon swimming upstream, you know, all the time in an environment where people may not appreciate what you do. But in this environment, it sounds like they understand the type of hospitality effort that you're putting out. And it probably resonates with them too. It it absolutely does. Because look, they're they're in the business of filling the apartments in the spaces that residents live in. And so is, if, if services are great, dining services are great. And we also do facilities management services in many of those locations where we're changing beds and cleaning floors and cleaning bathrooms. And we do all that as well. If, if those things are great, then there's a demand for residents to want to move into that community. And, and so that, that what, that's what drives us is that we understand what their goal is. It aligns with what we're trying to do. And, um, you know, that's, that's been the biggest growth area of the business, frankly, since COVID began. Well, look around any city, you, you can't drive into a, you know, an an intersection and not see another senior living being built. Right. So you're also in a good segment. Yeah. The world's getting older and, um, and I also think there's, there's just, you know, especially in many of the communities in, in Florida, in Texas, we've got a number of uh, facilities in, in Michigan. There's some pockets of the country where it's really an important part of the, the broader community, those senior living facilities, especially in Florida and, and Texas. And so those, those facilities are competing against each other. All of them are making investments in building pools and theaters and all kinds of new amenities on the, in the community. So we, we love those kinds of customers where everybody's trying to make it just a little bit better than the guy down the street kind of thing. Right. Well, and then that's a, a great way for you guys to, to show your value back to you know the operator. Well, and because you're in the business of serving food and being that you're a foodie and, you know, you're hiring chefs and they're creating their own menus, you're clearly thinking about what quality food are we creating? 
What quality food are we sourcing? Who are we feeding? What are we feeding them? And you and I got in this conversation about the, the, the challenges really that exist in creating this kind of food as medicine type of system when you're in some ways fighting against the pharmaceutical space, which has tried to solve health through drugs versus cleaner living. So it's, it's really um, there's multiple areas that have caused this, you know, it makes it very challenging. There's multiple areas. Number one is the supply chain, right? So something like 80% of all food consumed by the average American is what we call processed food. It's food that is not fresh food. And think of fresh food and, and food that's just in its natural state, a, a raw piece of chicken, a raw piece of steak, fresh vegetables. So many foods that are consumed are processed foods, which leads to the metabolic disorder that so many have. And then ultimately, pharmaceuticals jump on that because they can create medicines to solve those issues. And so when we started the company, we were all about fresh food. Uh, it's, you know, I grew up in a, what, what, what would be described as a classic Italian home. Uh, my mother was a phenomenal cook and everything we grew up with massive gardens and, you know, we had chickens and rabbits and we, we, we grew and ate everything that we grew and everything was fresh. There was no processed foods. You were a homesteader before homesteading was cool. Yeah, exactly. And, and that was just the culture that I grew up in. So, and as I started to work for other companies young, earlier in my career, I, you know, we, we were serving frozen chicken patties and, you know, canned salad dressings and sauces. And, and, and I was like, this is not anything like I was used to. And so when we started next night, it was all about fresh food and, and that resonated with lots of customers and, and certainly with lots of guests that ate our food. And I always used to say our food's just better and it makes you feel better. And, and then ultimately, um, when we got into the senior living business, it's really important that folks that are not quite healthy uh, start to eat better in their elder years because it you know, that's their, they want vitality later in their life. They don't want to be confined to chairs and walkers and they want vitality. And so we were able to prove that providing fresh food can make people healthier. And then ultimately we, um, we're acquiring a company that provides medical nutrition therapy. So I can not only say, geez, my food makes you feel better, but I can also actually provide the therapy that many of those residents need uh, to live happier, healthier lives. So that acquisition is complete. Uh, we are just at the end of the LOI. It's, it's not 100% complete. There's been a couple of delays, but we're, we're all in, a, in accord that, that the deal is going to close. We're just waiting to cross a few T's and dot a few I's. And I'm, I'm happy to mention, you know, the name of the company, if that that's helpful. It's it's Simplex Health out of Pennsylvania. They've got a lot of great customers and um, we're just really excited about that acquisition because, again, you mentioned it, the pharmaceutical industry, um, they, they don't, they're not interested. Well, I don't want to say they're not interested. 
they're in the business of selling pharmaceuticals, right? And so whatever metabolic diseases there may be, whatever diseases in general, their job, their, their whole existence is to provide medication to try to solve some of those problems. And they're not, they're not looking at the problem the same way no. we look at the problem. No, I think they're in a catch-22 type of business. Sure. Right. Where, where, where your goal is you want people to be healthy. Stay healthy. Food as medicine is honestly, it's a simple, simple concept. It really is. You can, you can change somebody's metabolic disorders in as little as six weeks of changing their menu, just changing their food. You can change their metabolic disorders within six weeks. We've got clinical results that show amazing, amazing results just by changing diet. And although that's very, very simple, if you go into a grocery store, 80% of the items there are processed foods. And if you look at the side of a cereal box to a side of a granola bar to a side of a can of soda, you're just reading ingredients that, frankly, we're not meant to consume. Correct. And, and so the more we do that, if it's 70% of the population has metabolic disorder. We're also 70% of the population is on medication. And so there is a connection between that, between the people who eat these processed foods and the medications that they're on. So we're hopeful that, you know, the small steps that we're taking in the communities that we serve is going to start to change some of that. In fact, the money has been, is now becoming available for companies like us. Insurers will say if you can get somebody off their blood pressure medications um, and it costs us $30,000 a year for to provide those blood pressure medications and you can get them off those blood pressure medications by changing diet, I'll give you half that money. And, and that's called value-based care. And it's a term that folks are going to hear a lot more about. But with, that's something we're really excited about. You know, the money piece is great, but but it, we're already doing it. Right. So we're already providing fresh food. So it's not like it's a big leap of business change for us. It's, it's something that we're doing already. All right. So walk us through that a little bit more. So you're, let's say you're in with a, an operator now that is providing care for senior citizens and you get half of them off of the high blood pressure medicine or the medication. What happens at that point? You're saying the insurance providers are actually, they're actually writing a check. So um, in many cases, so yes is, yes is the answer to the question for the insurance providers, but many uh, organizations who are self-insured, um, who are paying those bills themselves, are also writing that check. So as opposed to submitting those claims, um, we, we, get, we get those monies or half those monies uh, or a portion of the monies. It's not always half. It can be a lot less. It can be a little bit more. It just depends on the insurance provider. But those are those are things that are still in the infancy. There's only a few states that are mandating that approach to start. Uh, there's only a handful of states that do it today, but there's legislation that's pending that's going to mandate it to be a federally mandated program that allow that basically says um, doctors need to prescribe uh, other remedies to these metabolic disorders before they prescribe medications. And, and, and so where that that's service in the right provider, direction, 
No question it is. There's, there's no question it is. You can't. I'm surprised that's years. actually going through just with the as strong as the pharmaceutical lobbyists are. I'm sure they're kicking and screaming with this. There's $3.8 trillion we spend in healthcare costs in this country every year, and it's growing at an exponential rate. And everybody agrees, including the insurers, that we have to find a way to control this. And we were laughing about it the other day. It's like, well, how much of these insurers really going to get behind this initiative given, you know, could it put them out of business? Even the pharmaceutical companies, I'm told now there's a couple of pharmaceutical companies that are um, basically providing startup funds for companies like us to to explore and, and pursue this medical nutrition therapy. And I said, well, are they really doing that or is it just a show? As long as there's burgers, fries and there's pizza, people are going to want to eat that stuff. And and some people aren't going to be able to control themselves. Have you ever seen that cartoon where there's a line of people on the left side that says, give me medications to solve my metabolic or my high blood pressure? Or there's, a, there's two people in line that says, I'll just start eating fresh food. People would rather just take a pill. And it's a lot easier. And the cost of it it's, is something that the insurance companies want to control. And we're not expecting... 100% success rate on anything that we do. But reality is if we get 30% success rate, um, those are significant dollars. And, and that's, you know, the more success that we attain providing this medical nutrition therapy, I think the better traction in general, you know, all the rising tides going to lift all the boats and everybody's going to start to think about that stuff. And in, in the dining services space, Everybody's buying processed foods. All our competitors are everybody. I mean, even even chain restaurants, it's all processed foods. We need to get away from that. And the more success that we have as an organization uh, and as an industry in the medical nutrition therapy business, I think that's going to push lots of restaurants to change the way they serve food and what they serve. Well, and that's the challenge that everyone is fighting against is that when you go to a restaurant, the food is has come through a distributor and that distributor basically set up your supply chain of where you're going to be getting all your food. And if everything is coming from a source or from sources that are processed, it's very difficult to change those buying behaviors and get those new vendors into the distributor process. So the end operator can start choosing and selecting, right? The fresher food options over those highly processed foods. Of course, now you've got cost cost issues, right? The process, if it's done in a commercial way, could be cheaper, right? So it's, at some point, people are going to have to say, look, it's not about the money, right? I need to be eating better. And I also noticed that uh, you guys are also working with farms and farmers that you're and you're trying to connect with locally, right? Better sources of food, if, if I understand that correctly. Yeah, I mean, certainly in this part of the country, in the Northeast, you're, you have a limited window of uh, local farms that you can work with because the growing season's so short. But in the West Coast and in the South, those are that local fresh stuff that we buy is a real advantage um, to you know to the types of the quality of food that we're trying to serve. You can't beat a fresh tomato off the vine versus one that was picked green, packed in a crate, shipped 6,000 miles across the, you know, we're, we're trying to buy local and that's the stuff that really makes a difference in terms of providing high quality fresh food. 
even the produce, even the, the, the meats that we buy, we buy a lot of stuff locally from local farms. Um, those are, those things are also important parts of, of the way we serve fresh food. Well, it sounds like you are just, you have a holistic approach to the dining experience. That's what this sounds like to me. Well, it's really interesting you say that because that's the one, uh, I think strategic advantage we have as an organization. I developed a, a, a holistic diagram. You know, when you're trying to provide a great dining experience, most people don't recognize some of the smaller underlying things that make a dining experience great. The lights, the sounds, the smells, the colors, the floor, the uniforms, um, all those things contribute to a great dining experience. It's not just the food on the plate. And so we developed this diagram that says, here are the 19 dimensions of an amazing dining experience. 19? And there are 19 dimensions. Not and, 20, and all not 18. Yeah, I know. We, <laughs> is this we, the definitive list? Is this it? I mean, we can go to Wikipedia and this is, we got David's 19. All right. So what are, so what are like the top other than like, obviously like lighting, uh, smell and that kind of, what, what are some of the, the other ones that maybe aren't so obvious to folks? Uh, sanitation and safety is really important, right? Those, those things are, are part of that great dining experience, a vision, Technology, uh, financial accountability, um, the support and leadership that we provide as as an organization to the staff that's on site. Um, you know, catering is, is a big part. So this, this, you know, what it's all centered by people and the culture. Yeah, it, you, you can into the operations here too. You're not just talking about what the what the diner sees, but it's the overall that's right. Uh, infrastructure that's got to be in place. That's correct. And, and those things, those things matter, you know, when you've got a hundred and something locations across the country and you're trying to make sure every single one of them every day, three times a day, sometimes four times a day is providing a great experience. Um, my advice to operators out there is, Break down the best days of service you've ever had. What caused that? What were the things that were happening? Write those things down and try to replicate those and just diagram those things out so that everybody on site sees those things and understands what they are. And you're all working towards, you know, making sure each one of those 19 components in our case are, op are operating at, at you know, maximum capacity, at, at maximum efficiency. You can't take, you can't, it, it can't be guesswork. You, you have to diagram it and it has to be science in some regards to make sure that every single guest receives an amazing experience. Of course, you don't always achieve it, right? I mean, it's never perfect, but you have to, you have to provide that set, that level. Set if you don't have a blueprint, you're never going to hit, you know, hit it exactly. You're never going to build it the way it should be. And, and again, it centers around the people and the culture. The culture that we have as an organization is what drives everyone's desire to achieve the goals that we've set. It's it's the, that's the number one thing is you've got to have the right people and culture. And once you do that, you just 
give them a little push down the path and you'd be surprised at how fast they can start going. You know, this is sort of a, it's a tough topic, I think, for people to understand when we talk about culture or, you know, how to solve the the labor problem, but you really are on the front lines of this with the the size and the scope of your organization, the number of people that you've hired within hospitality to provide great service. Do you have any key learnings for people, uh, businesses, founders, when it comes to maybe maintaining that culture, um, working with people that are, you know, not in your corporate office every day, so they don't have the benefit of being around Mr. Wonderful every day. They got to, they, they're, they're. yeah, I, I would tell you, I'll give you my basic philosophy, then I'll tell you a quick story of what I think illustrates that, right? And, and number one is, as an entrepreneur, it doesn't always cost more to do the right thing, but sometimes it does. And I always say to my guys, if, if we can't afford to do the right thing, then we're not charging enough money because I want to do the right thing all the time. And, and, and sometimes it does cost more. And, and you just have to go in and, and do it with that mindset of just doing the right thing. And, and I always, I, I have many, uh, David Lanceyisms, as my people say. Lanceyisms. All right. Lay them on us. We've got a few more minutes here. Let's hear some Lanceyisms. One Lanceyism is if you loved them on the way in, you better love them on the way out, right? And that really means if you're hiring somebody and you loved them on, you know, on the day you hired them and you're really excited about them starting, but all of a sudden, after all the protocols and processes, they just don't work out, they're not the right fit, I want to love them on the way out because, A, I think by and large people want to do the right thing when they come to work every day, but for some reason may not happen right the right way for some people. So when they leave, those are the people that can do the most damage to your reputation as an organization, not the ones that stay. It's the ones that leave. Yeah. And and I always try to understand why did they leave? Right? What's what really happened, right? And you got to be truthful as and and brutally honest with yourself, but so if you love them on the way in, love them on the way out. And I'll give you one quick story that you know that to me illustrates how I operate as a entrepreneur and, and CEO. When when COVID hit um, March, late March 2020, 99% of my business literally shut down. Uh, it was just it was an, obviously I'm not the only one, but it was an incredible time. And I remember being on a conference call with a hundred and something of my managers and it might've been the entire organization, including our early colleagues. And I basically said it was, it was right at the time our, our managers are due for their bonuses on April 1st. And I basically said to everybody, guys, I'm really sorry, but I can't pay everybody their bonuses. I need to preserve cash because I don't know how long this is going to last. And of course there were moans and groans and people were angry. And I said, look, I promise you when the time comes, after we get past this two weeks, three weeks, whatever, I'm going to give you your money, but I just can't do it right now. Well, as it turns out, it was like 18 months later. And 18 months later, many of those people actually left the organization and went to go do something entirely different. Well, I actually sent everybody their bonus checks, even the ones that weren't with us anymore. What? And Oh, I wasn't expecting that. And some people said... 
well, they're not even with the company anymore. Why are you sending their bonus? And I said, dude, they, they earned that bonus when they were here. And I was the one that said they couldn't get it. And so that's, that's an example of like, look, sometimes it costs more money to do the right thing. Now, one of those people of the 30 or 40, I think it turned out being, and it was several hundred thousand dollars. And, and they posted something on LinkedIn because I sent them a letter with the check to their home. And he posted it on LinkedIn and said, you know, kudos to Dave Lancey. And next time they sent me my bonus, I haven't been there and I haven't been with the company in a while. And they said, and I just thought to myself, you know what? That's the right thing to do. Like if I was that guy that didn't get my bonus because of COVID, which no fault of his. And, and the CEO said, I, I just, I, again, I felt like that's the right thing to do. And I, those are, that, that's just the way we operate as an organization to try to make things right for people. So I, cause if I do that, frankly, I think I get, I get everybody's best work. But you know, this can take us full circle all the way back to the very beginning of our conversation. When you talked about you had worked for some horrible bosses (laughs) and you're still trying to not be that horrible boss. That's right. Right. It's the golden rule. I mean, if, if everyone just literally treated people the way they wanted to be treated, um, you know, this is a bit of a tangent, but I'll, I'll say it here. Um, cause I do work in a nonprofit and one of the, in, in the nonprofit work that I do, um, we, we, it has to do with the constitution. I'll just say that. And w- when our constitution was created, it was created in such a way that the only way it was going to work was that if people were, were honest and for example, you know, live by that kind of a high moral standard. Because when you have people that live to a high moral standard, you don't have to have lots of laws. It's when society breaks down and everyone's treating everybody like an animal, you've got to have a million laws. And you as a CEO, you, you're, you're faced with the same thing. You've got all your employees. When people go off the rails, it's like, all right, let's put that in the manual. Let's put that in the handbook. And if you're hiring the right people and they're doing the right things, guess what? A lot of those problems don't exist. That's right. So true. So I'm off my soapbox. I haven't mentioned that before, but I kind of felt like it it makes sense. I mean, what you just did was, is, is, is the right thing. And, um, and hopefully who knows, maybe one day you'll, you know, you'll hire them back. Maybe, maybe one of them will want to come back. Um, we don't have a lot of time left today to get into any more of the, you know, labor issues or maybe how you're solving that or in, in kind of how you're dealing with culture. But but we can certainly come back and, and do a live stream sometime and kind of talk through more of the cultural issues because uh, uh, that's a big topic with this number of employees you have. People definitely want to understand how to hold, how to maintain and how to, you know, build the right type of, uh, you know, kind of environment. So maybe we could do do a follow-up around that one, David. Would love to. Yeah. I've got, um, get some I've more got a million Lanceism. ideas and yeah, get, get some more Lanceisms, uh, things that again, the school of hard knocks, I working for some horrible people. You'll learn, <laughs> you, you'll learn what not to do. So, uh, I, we, we try to, we try to run the right way here. I have all, I have, there have been people like that in my life too. And I, to this day, I still say, I, I just don't want to be like that. You know, and I just, and unfortunately, 
yeah, you live long enough, you do come across some of those people, sure. you know, and you're sometimes in your own family, sometimes in businesses and uh, <laughs> in right. life, you know, it's right. But, um, right. well, David, before we digress too far, was there anything that you wanted to touch on about Next Dine or the food as medicine concept that we didn't get a chance to talk about? Um, again, I think. In general, we have to have a combination of private enterprise and government guidance to try to dictate the change in the way the supply chains produce food. There's so much, I mean, I mean, you know it, right? There's just so much conflicting information out there that we, we can't seem to all agree on what constitutes a great diet. Some think you're, should be having 70% carbs and 30% protein or 80% protein and 20% carbs. And everybody's different. There's no one size fits all, but we have to have truth and labeling laws. And, and I think that's a big issue because people don't know what they're eating. And we have to be clear about that stuff for, for the average consumer. And, and then secondly, there has to be some government funding to support the education and the change of this, these behaviors. It's, it, most people, as much as there's food insecurity in this country at an epidemic level, there's also a, an overabundance of food. 40% of the food produced is wasted, but yet we have food insecurity. We have to get a broader plan, a government plan that's, that allows us to better manage the food supply chain that we have and take care of the needy and the folks who are um, who, who can't afford. It's if you want to eat right, you have to be really careful about how you spend your dollars because it can go a lot faster than if you're just going to buy a box of something. And so it, it shouldn't be that way. But uh, I don't have all the answers. But I'm you know that's it's the one thing that I can tell you we try to fight for as an organization. And and then secondly is next time. Um, we're growing nationwide and uh, I feel very, very passionate about, I want to seduce people with the food that we serve. I'm not trying to be a healthy food company. Food can be medicine without question, but there has to be romance in the food that people have to look at food as just beyond sustenance. I want romance brought back to the way food is served. And that's where I think we we really excel is that I want people to come in and the old saying is, you know, people eat with their eyes. I want that's what I want to, to try to invoke across the organization is continue to bring romance to the way our food is served and good things will happen. So, David, if someone's listening and they're thinking, hey, we need to go through a change, we need to swap out maybe, you know, our hospitality provider, what's the best way for people to connect and kind of get into your process and suss out if this is a good fit for them? Yeah, I mean, the best, easiest way is just to go to nextdine.com, N-E-X-D-I-N-E.com, and uh, there's a number of contacts there on the page that uh, you can reach out to, to me personally. Um that's certainly a way that people have, have connected with us is to reach out to me personally. We're all over LinkedIn, of course. So it's pretty easy to get in touch with us if you'd like to. That's great. That's great, David. Well, 
I'm looking forward to having our follow-up because I do think there's more information that we're going to have to uncover because we can't get it all, you know, in, in one, in one go here. So thank you so much for being here today, David. Great to, great to talk through this important topic with you. Appreciate it, Tony. Thanks so much.